before I get started, guys, we got to come up with a name for this bull in, in my background on these videos. The Bitcoin bull or something. I don't know. We, Boris. We have to come up with some name for him. So, <laughs> all right, going live here. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Bitcoin and Markets. Thank you for joining me. Hope you're doing well on this Monday afternoon now. It is 1 p.m., 1.46 p.m. Eastern Time on April 17th, 2023. I am live streaming on YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Telegram. Where else am I going out? That's it. Uh, anyway, uh, thank you for joining me. The Bitcoin price is dipping here a little bit today. We're going to cover that at the end of the show. Every Monday, I put out a free weekly newsletter. You guys can subscribe to that at bitcoinandmarkets.com. Uh, super simple. There's no spam. You know, I'm not selling your email or anything. This is just a, a very small niche podcast that talks about Bitcoin and macro. And I do this weekly newsletter. You can also support me over there on bitcoinandmarkets.com. Check out everything I offer. The telegram is t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. Today, what I'm going to cover is I'm losing faith. It's by BTC Remnant. And I was going to go through that a little bit and talk about what we can learn about this, uh, just kind of go through. Because I think a lot of people, especially if you're like myself, we try not to be emotionally attached to the market swings. Um, but it gets to us. The bear market definitely gets to us. And a lot of people just decide, oh, I'm not going to even look at the Bitcoin headlines for two weeks or whatever. And that's totally understandable. But what can we learn about that and the cycles? Where in the cycle does that put us, right? So we're going to read through that story a little bit. All right, let me share the screen. And refresh. There we go. So sentiment is bottoming. I saw this post today and it was it beautifully summarized the feeling out there in the space, in my opinion. The author is lamenting over the conflicting memes in Bitcoin. So let me bring this up and share this tab. Stacker News, once again, it is by BTC Remnant. And let's just read through here a little bit. I've been a libertarian anarchist for 20 years and I have been in the Bitcoin space for a few years. A few, so one cycle, maybe just the post-COVID cycle or something like that. So this is his first real big bear market, I would say, at least the full encompassing cycle if he's only been here for a few years. So that, that's the context that we need to read this into. Having recognized it as the only solution to the very serious problem of freedoms that afflicts humanity. I have worked collecting my salary only in Bitcoin. Surely you don't know many people who can say that. So is my level of conviction in Bitcoin. But in the last few months, I am suffering a crisis of faith, of faith in humanity, or perhaps in Bitcoiners themselves. These are the things that are happening that are disturbing me and making me lose sleep. So here's his list. The stack sats. It is true that I'm starting to read more discordant quote, spend your Bitcoins and then reload your stack again type voice. But it is 2023 and the mainstream voices are still recommending to accumulate and accumulate. Inciting others not to spend their Bitcoin and to save them. After all, your Bitcoin will be trading in a few months or years at hundreds or millions of, of thousands of euros, right? 
How is Bitcoin adoption supposed to increase and businesses supposed to survive if no one spends their Bitcoin? This is a very hard problem and there isn't a super easy answer to this. It's a chicken or the egg problem. It's also a catch 22. Like you need to get value before you can exchange that value. You know, that's why people say store of value comes before medium of exchange, because what are you exchanging? Well, you're exchanging value. And where did that value come from? It was accrued through the store of value function. So you have to have store value before you do medium of exchange. However, as money, medium of exchange needs to come before it being a store of value. So there, there's this is a very hard chicken or egg problem. The thing I would say is that first off, I don't I personally don't spend my Bitcoin. I have in the past and I've regretted it. I, I don't even mess around too much with it and try out new wallets or try out Lightning Network things that, uh, you know, new innovations going on. I usually don't even do that. Um, I'll do that through maybe necessity or something like that. But that's the key here. That's the key point is if there is enough value, people will use their Bitcoin. So it's not that people aren't using their Bitcoin. It's that nobody is offering enough value for that Bitcoin. That's what I say. Offer something better. Do something bigger. Offer bigger discounts. You know, if I got 50% discount for spending my Bitcoin, I would. And I would spend it and I would reload it. But then you have tax implications. You have privacy implications. So there, there's a lot of other costs here that are involved as well. But if you provide enough incentive to spend, then you will spend. And also spending tends to come after periods of price appreciation because people become, it's the wealth effect, you know, the amount of your save, the value of your savings goes up. And so you spend some of it. So don't worry, the spending will come. The spending will definitely come. The, the thing is we're building the store of value function. That's, that's my opinion. First you do the store of value, then you do the medium of exchange. Okay, let's continue reading. It's amazing to see how when a venture capitalist says something bad about Bitcoin is that he is scamming people. But when he says something wild along the lines of BTC worth 1 million in three months, we start drooling over the scammer. Yeah, but that's because everything is good for Bitcoin. And we're responding to our incentives. Okay, let's continue. We like to think that 99% of huma humanity is absolutely moronic. But as Bitcoiners, you have seen the light. We are better than the rest. We don't realize that we are people too. When someone says Ethereum to the moon, we think they are a scammer or an asshole. But if they say the same about Bitcoin, what does he know that I don't? No, I don't think that. I don't think most Bitcoiners think 99% of humanity is absolutely moronic. I wouldn't put it that high. I mean, there's a there's a high percentage, but it's not 99%. I, I would say there, there's a high percentage of people that literally cannot grasp these concepts. It's not a super majority or anything. It's probably not even a majority of people. It's probably 25% of people don't have either the attention span the willingness, or the capability to understand these arguments. And that's fine. You know, they don't understand the arguments for the dollar, but they use that. So there's no reason for them necessarily to understand it. Um, but I don't think that we are better than the rest. I don't think that at all. We are just consumed by this thing. 
And you know what? I have been consumed by money, understanding money since I was in high school, you know, and my, my dad introduced me to Ayn Rand and Ron Paul and Murray Rothbard and all these people um, at a very early age. And I've been obsessed with money ever since then. You know, I was into gold and silver for a decade before I even found Bitcoin. And now I've been obsessed with Bitcoin for a decade. So some people just have this put, uh, not potential, but proclivity towards thinking about money and understanding money and wanting to care about money. Some people really care about freedom. And you'll notice these things in the Bitcoin space that people that care about freedom more than they understand the money aspect of it and vice versa. You know, there's people that understand the money and care less about the freedom. I tend to think that the freedom will follow the money, but at the same time, you can't like Bitcoin isn't going to change human nature. Human nature is going to be around forever. It will change the incentives and certain things will get, you know, the distribution of certain activities, violence or cooperation, et cetera, will change, but it's never going to be a perfect world. It's not like Bitcoin is a utopia. So anyway, I uh, got off on a tangent there. Let's keep going. I keep hearing that Bitcoin is inevitable. I'm sorry, but it's not. Do you think email would have been an information exchange system for over 40 years if they hadn't invested in spam control systems 20 years ago? It's a hypothetical. I mean, I would say that I'll go back to the Jack Mahler's comment from a couple of weeks ago that we talked about here on the show. Demand finds supply. You can't just say that email wouldn't have succeeded if it didn't do X, Y, Z. It did X, Y, Z because there was the demand out there for it, right? So the bottom layer is demand, human behavior. It's the same with Bitcoin. The, the bottom layer is the demand for sound money in a non-sound money system. So yes, Bitcoin, it's not technically inevitable, but the demand is there. Something like Bitcoin will, will come about. And guess what? Nothing has approached Bitcoin in the 15, no, 14 years. So it probably won't in the next 14. And you start talking about Lindy effects and other things. I mean, if it's not Bitcoin, it's not anything. But we have the problem with there is demand for it. Like the, the saying that Bitcoin is going to be worth a million or zero. It's trending towards a million. Anyway, let's continue. Do you think anything goes if the fees are paid? A few days ago, someone told me on a Telegram channel that Bitcoin will be whatever people want it to be. And it's not money anymore. It's now a decentralized database because people want it to be. Sorry, but I agree with unhosted Marcellus. We need decentralized digital money, not whatever people want it to be, because people are assholes. Lately, I pretty much agree with several of Bitcoin Airlog's positions. We need to stop recommending people use apps that custody our Bitcoins, because that is not Bitcoin. Let's stop recommending Wallet of Satoshi and other custodial wallets like Albi. Albi? Never mind that they work better for newbies. For that, we could use my bank's transfer app or PayPal, which work quite well, right? Neither that, but also not recommending to a newbie to set up his own node. Let's start recommending Phoenix, Blinks, BitKit, 
or any other self-custodial wallet that really supports Bitcoin and Lightning. That's fine. But the problem with self-custody, and I promote self-custody, especially at this stage in Bitcoin, you should self-custody your Bitcoin. Don't leave more Bitcoin on an exchange or in a custodial wallet more than you're willing to lose. At this stage, that's fine. However, mass adoption. If we're going to get, say, three, four billion people using Bitcoin, it literally cannot be self-custody at this point. I mean, maybe in the future, maybe in the future, there'll be something like these hierarchical channels on Lightning Network that's just starting to really get the scalability going. But there's things like UTXOs. UTXO set is a very limiting factor in Bitcoin. And guess what? There's going to be a lot of options for people. If you think that 99% of humanity is absolutely moronic, which I don't agree with that, but that's what he said up top. Most of these people aren't going to be able to manage their own money. They can't manage their money in their bank account. They can't manage the, the cash in their wallet. How are they going to manage something that's not physically tactile like a dollar bill? They can't even manage something physically tactile like a dollar bill or coins. They're constantly getting swindled. They're constantly, you know, falling for scams. They're constantly spending above their means. They're constantly doing all these other things. Are they going to be able to run a node, multiple nodes, a Bitcoin and a Lightning node, and connect it with their wallets and all this stuff? No, absolutely not. But that's a possibility. And you'll have those 10% of people. That's what I think. It'll be roughly 5 to 10% of people that self-custody. 10% of people that own half of the Bitcoin or more than half. Those are the people that will self-custody. Everybody else, it's less important in my opinion. But okay, let's keep going here. What to say about the two major Bitcoin mixing projects, Samurai and Wasabi, and they are in a fight. I don't want to go over that. Um, another thing I often hear is that states will not be able to attack Bitcoin other that they have already done so, but to no avail. Sorry, but it's not true that they have done all they can. In my opinion, they have only just started. And of course, the worst is yet to come, including the 6102 for real. All right. Governments, states, whatever you want to call it, they are collections of individuals. The government itself is an illusion, right? So their collection of individuals and Bitcoin incentives work on individuals. I said this way, way back before I even had a podcast in Bitcoin. I was saying that Bitcoin incentives work on the individual. So think of a bank board meeting and these guys are talking about Bitcoin and how to address this Bitcoin stuff. They might come to the decision among in amongst the banks or amongst the board that they aren't going to participate. They're not going to bank certain Bitcoin companies or whatever. But at the same time, two of those board members go home and buy Bitcoin because they learned about it and it's actually pretty awesome and they like the idea. It's the same with the regulators. You know, you sit on a committee and you hear about this and you might go along with passing certain minimal regulations or standards or something like that but then you go home and you buy bitcoin out of all the billionaires in the world i don't know how many there are i think you can look up an estimate but let's say there's a million billionaires 
well, there's probably not that many. <laughs> so let's say there's a thousand billionaires. I don't know how many there are. Um, I would say a fourth of them own Bitcoin. So these are the most powerful people in the world. And a quarter of them own Bitcoin. Their incentives are now aligned with your incentives. So when he says that, oh, they haven't even started yet, they're coming for us. Yes, there might be some of that. And it definitely depends on where you live. If you live in a country that already has, you know, is known for or already has extremely harsh banking regulations, privacy, things of that nature, privacy protections and stuff, then it's going to be bad for Bitcoin as well. Just look at China, you know, they have the credit, social credit scores, they have complete and utter surveillance, zero privacy, all of this stuff. And what they do, they ban Bitcoin. So it's going to be the same sort of thing. But I, I think that the incentive, the individual incentives to attack Bitcoin are less than people think. They really are. If you would have asked me back in 2014, by 2023, what kind of regulations have they come have they passed to come after Bitcoiners? I would have said they made it illegal. They, you know, froze your bank accounts. They did X, Y, Z. Nothing even close to that has happened. I mean, in Canada, they have done stuff like that with the truckers. You know, when people donated Bitcoin or whatever, they froze their accounts and things of that nature. They did go after them in that particular case. It wasn't coming after them for Bitcoin. It was coming after them for some political idea or some political action that they did. If you had dollars, they did the same thing to you. So this is, it's not coming after Bitcoiners. Really, there hasn't been all that much in the world coming after Bitcoiners. Maybe I'm naive. Maybe I have rose-colored glasses on, but that's, that's what I think. All right, let's go down here a little bit more. Um, I understand people who want the current system to fail. I myself have spoken out in that sense on many occasions. We must put an end to this scam that some call the democratic system. Okay, let's go down. These last few weeks, I have been cleaning up the Madrid region, about 6 million people of BTC map, and literally 100% of the businesses I've checked no longer accept Bitcoin. Oh, man. So that is probably where he's getting his loss of faith right there in that part. In the last few weeks, he's found out that pretty much everybody has stopped accepting Bitcoin. That's very interesting. We literally have four restaurants that accept Bitcoin. Two of them belong to the same owner and also promote Agenda 2030. <laughs> and another one accepts Bitcoin, but only when the boss is around because the wallet is on his phone. Wow. Okay. Let's keep going down here. Uh, meanwhile, the important people in the Bitcoin ecosystem go from conference to conference and party to party, including conferences with Bitcoin in the name, but promote all sorts of shit coins. By the way, when do these people work? Okay, so that's interesting. And I've seen this controversy about Bitcoin magazine and, and doing the ordinals and the NFTs and stuff. NFTs were never a money alternative, right? The, so it's not like they're supporting some sort of uh, scam altcoin money printing scam. So that's, that's quite a bit different. Um, it's also a Bitcoin layer. You know, they were one of the first, they've always supported like counterparty stuff. If you went into their, uh, art show there at the conference, there was a lot of counterparty type rare Pepe's and 
all sorts of stuff. So they've always promoted layer two Bitcoin things. And that's what this ordinal stuff is to me. I mean, the NFTs, yes, they're actually like inscribed, but the artwork and all of that, that's, that's an abstraction. Sorry, I hit my mic. That's an abstraction. And they've always supported that as long as it's on Bitcoin. So anyway, and then Bitcoin ecosystem going from conference to conference and party to party. I've been to, let's see. Yeah, I've been to just two. Man, has it been two or three? I think two of the Miami conferences. And I never really partied. <laughs> and the second one, I was like actually part of the Bitcoin magazine affiliation. And I never partied. There, there were no parties that I saw. I mean, maybe there were some whale parties that I wasn't invited to. But that wasn't like the main thing there. It was mainly people going and watching these people speak. So maybe it feels like that, but that's not how it is. They were telling me a few days ago that the fall of the current system and the triumph of Bitcoin, we won't see it because it will happen in 50 years from now. It reminds me of when I used to go to Libertarian Party meetings and they said that their goal was to go from 6,000 to 10,000 votes in the next few years. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's one reason why, you know, Bitcoin, I said early on that Bitcoin was the active part of libertarianism because you actually felt like you were doing something by accumulating and stacking sats. It was a very active way to bring about your stuff instead of, like he said, just trying to get a couple more people to vote libertarian. I have thought about that recently, like, so I'm over 40 now, and is it going to take another 40 years until this Morpheus meme comes to life where I don't have to sell my Bitcoin to spend my Bitcoin? I don't think so. So let's see, let's go back to the report. I say that, hey, what's up, guys? Breaking in on the edit. This is an edited down version of the live stream where I'm going over my report. So I couldn't figure out a way to get into this section cleanly. So I needed to record a transition, <laughs> but I'm going into what I wrote on the report. This is episode 343. So if you go to bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash E343, you can find a link to that report. All right, guys, let's get back into it. Remember that the pressure to change the system is exponential. Just a few years ago, we had Janet Yellen saying Bitcoin wasn't a concern at all. This is just five years ago. And today, Hillary Clinton is saying that it can destabilize nation states. I mean, that is going on this exponential curve. You know, like an R-naught number, you don't think it's anything's happening and all of a sudden, boom, it explodes. People... This good, the price of tomorrow and Jeff Booth, his book talks about this, uh, the problem with exponential numbers that people have in their mind. But if you step back and you look at things like that, Janet Yellen saying it's not a concern. And now Hillary Clinton says it can destabilize nation states. That's a big difference in just five years time. And if we're going on an exponential trend, what's the next five years go? What, you know, what's the next step that would be equally as exponential from, uh, no concern to destabilize nation states to what's the next take down nation states maybe. So these things can happen little by little, and then it appears like it happens all at once. And I truly don't expect it to go that long. There's other reasons too, because 
like the Great Depression from 1930 to 1945, whatever it was. Um, I don't know when you could say the end of the, the Great Depression was, maybe 47, something like that. So you're talking 17, 20 years, okay? The Great Financial Crisis. The Great Financial Crisis was starting in 2008, and now we're 15 years later. And I think that we have been in a depression ever since. The silent depression, as Emil Kalinowski calls it. So given those time frames, I don't think it can go on very much longer because that's just that's just how it works. They, they can't spend their way out of a debt problem, okay? This, this system as it is right now is fatally flawed. It must be changed for recovery. So what does that mean? That means we continue on in the current depressionary state until Bitcoin. So how long can that be? Can we go in a global depression for 50 years? I don't think so. We would have war. We would have turnover. We'd do something to, to change that before 50 years. We're already starting to see it happen. You know, Ukraine and the Taiwan rhetoric here. So we're starting to see these changes happen. So two decades roughly would be a period. Maybe you could stretch it to three decades. But like I said, the exponential nature of these things, it'll continue to pick up speed and it will surprise us how fast it goes. All right. And then I say, hey, what does this tell us about the cycles here, uh, the Bitcoin cycles? Because this losing faith article over here is pretty pretty high amount of despair i would say so that puts us in this depression you know right ready to start the bull market very interesting all right and that's going to do it hope you guys have a great rest of your day and i will see you on the next one bye